to Pastor Sam for opening up the month, talking about just being thankful and about the whole Thanksgiving spirit, because it spared me the task of preaching that sermon this morning. <laughs> um, and this is not a Christmas sermon, uh, so I'm not rushing ahead, Sam, so don't get upset. <laughs> We're taking it slow here. Um, uh, so, but this morning, I want to, to, for us to just reason together about the faith of Joseph. The faith of Joseph. I, whenever I read this, the Christmas story, as we do every year, at least at December time and other times in the year, I'm always struck by the Christmas story. Um, if I were God, and I'm not, I probably wouldn't have done it the way God did. And that's why he's God. That's why he's the one who is in control. Um, but it, it is so amazing as we look, as we read this narrative to see all the things that are happening in this story. And um, so, as I said, for those of you who have your Bibles, can turn to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 18 to verse 25. Let me just read that real quick. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary unto thee, sorry, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm still I'm recovering from a cold. So from time to time, I'll, I'll need to be excused to cough. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but it's... I assess my Christian life over the years, and I've come to realize it is difficult being a Christian. It's very hard. It's not easy. Especially in today's world, it is a very challenging endeavor. But it is a possible endeavor, and it's a very rewarding one. But it's not easy. There is no easy believism, there's no cheap grace. It's a walk of faith that you have to be committed to. You have to be committed 
to getting down and deep and dirty and coming back up and going down again. It is a walk of faith that you have to live in constant, total dependence on God the Father, on our Lord Jesus Christ, and on the Holy Spirit. It is not something that you just get up out of bed and you do it, or you become it. It is a difficult life. Many people would love it to be easy. And sometimes we wonder, why don't more people become Christians? It's because of this very fact. It is not an easy road. It's a very difficult walk. And I believe the story of Joseph and Mary and the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus communicates this very clearly to us. Because there are times in our Christian lives when our God will place us in difficult circumstances that will test our faith. It will cause us to wonder, what's go what, I mean, God, what are you doing? I remember when I really realized that we're having twins. I said to myself, God, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it's a lot of work having one child who is energetic and growing and learning and have to be running behind her. But then there's something else when you have that child plus two more at once. You know, if you weren't sleep deprived before, I mean, I, I know some people have three, four children and, and it's hard. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> it's difficult. But having two at once, it's, it's different. <laughs> It's very different. But God is taking us through. And so it's not easy. The Christian life is not easy. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew starts out by showing the fact that Jesus' legal earthly father, his adopted father, was a son of David. That was his point in all of the genealogy in the first 18 verses. He wanted to show that Joseph was a legitimate son of David. And so, Jesus, our Lord, the child who was born, fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. And, other, and Matthew will go on in this chapter and in chapters to come to show how the child Jesus fulfilled prophecies. So, the Jesus that we see here in chapter 1 is the Jesus who was promised long ago. And so he's worthy to become our Messiah, our Savior. And that's one of the, the general things that Matthew does. <coughs> Unlike Luke, Matthew does not go into Mary's story so much. He only states as much as he needs to state to prove the things that he wants to prove about Jesus and his connection to Old Testament prophecies. But what he does is that he spends quite some time sharing with us Joseph's story. And this is um, what we will focus on this morning. First of all, one of the things that struck me ab uh, about Joseph and Mary is that these were young people. They weren't elderly people. They were young people. Um, in Jewish tradition, a, a, a girl, a child, really, in, in modern-day America and Western culture. So Mary was about 
12 to 14 years old, probably, in the story. Maybe 16 if you want to push it a bit. I mean, just think about it. She was a, a child. She could be grounded still, right, in, in the present day. So um, we probably have some 16-year-olds in here this morning, but still a child. And in this age, she was engaged to be married to Joseph, who was maybe a little bit older than she was. Um, in Jewish culture, again, back in the day, a young man normally, after he um, passes through pu puberty, would start to save up to get a job and start saving up for his marriage and stuff. So we could speculate that Joseph was maybe about in his early to late 20s. Okay? So not very old. He could have been older as well, but not very old. And this tell, reminds us something about young people. Because these are two young people who are showing remarkable faith in God. Amen? Remarkable faith. If you look at Luke chapter 1 and 2, you see there that, that song that Mary sang after she met with Elizabeth. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing that a child could produce such verses of worship and praise to God. It's amazing. And that's what Mary did. And here in this story, in this narrative in Matthew, we see that Joseph is showing such remarkable faith and commitment to God. And I want to say this morning, if you're a young person here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your faith can go deep. Your faith can also be a beacon on the hill. Do not believe that because you're young, you're in college, you need to just, you know, play around with your Christian faith. No, you need to become a serious student of the word of God, a serious follower of Jesus Christ. Do not wait until you grow up, as it were. Don't waste these years, because these are the years that will set the foundation for the rest of your Christian life. A lot of the verses that I've memorized, I memorized when I was in my, teen, my teens, growing up in church, and they're still with me today. And so we also need to, in our church, give our young people a chance. Give them more responsibilities if they want to. Let them serve as they want to, because it will help to deepen and grow their faith as well. <laughs> and so... <clears throat> Matthew, at great length, talks about this righteous man, Joseph. And um, the first thing we see in this story that Matthew mentions about Joseph is that Joseph was a righteous man. Or he was a just man. Or Joseph was a man who followed the law. Joseph was a man who followed the law. And Matthew had to say this because he's showing why Joseph um, behaved the way he behaved. So just think about it. This young man is engaged to be married. And in the midst of his engagement, he finds out that, he finds out that his wife-to-be is pregnant, and he's not, the, he's not responsible for it. I mean, think, how do you feel? 
How would you react to such news? I mean, to be upset would be an understatement. Joe, but, I mean, it's, it's just remarkable how Joseph reacted. And going back into the context again, when the Bible here says that Joseph was engaged to Mary, this was not the way we do engagement today, where I can get engaged today and break it off and get engaged tomorrow. This was a legal, cultural binding ceremony that was done. This betrothed, this being exposed to Mary. He had communicated to Mary's family, to the community, that this lady was his wife. It is said that in Bible land times, in Joseph's time, when a man and a woman got engaged, if the man died before the actual wedding, the, the woman was still considered a widow. That was how strong this engagement was. Okay? It's a, it's a very a binding contract that was done. So there was no if or but. When you're engaged in Joseph's time, the person you're engaged to must become your wife or your husband. That was the rule. And so, in a sense, Joseph could have felt, or he probably did feel, that Mary was unfaithful to him. They, I mean, he was definitely preserving himself, keeping his passions in check, waiting for her, and then he hear, lo and behold, she's pregnant. So you can imagine all the things that's going through his head. But the Bible says, Joseph being a just man, a man who follows the law, he decided, you know what? I'm going to help out this young lady. I don't know what happened, but I'm going to help her out. He decided that, you know, I'm going to privately break off this engagement. Now, to go back again, to privately break off this engagement was not something simple. Okay? They had to, Joseph had to find the elders of the community. He had to find Mary's family. He had to negotiate if he desired the bride price. He had to negotiate whatever monetary compensation he wanted because of this trouble he found himself in with Mary. And he had to some way declare that he was not responsible for Mary's actions. And he also had to show that he was not involved. So he had to somehow distance himself from that for his own reputation, his own character's sake. So none of this was easy. Now, if Joseph had uh, decided to publicly put away Mary, it would have been a much easier task because he would have just taken her out into the courts and publicly denounced her. And we know what the law says in Deuteronomy about adultery. Yes? The person who committed adultery is to be put to death. You know? And so they would take her out and they would put her to death. And Joseph, his character... His reputation would be clean. So deciding to publicly put Mary away was more work for Joseph. It wasn't the easy way out. But being a just man, that's what he decided to do. And one thing we learned from Joseph's action here is that justice should be tempered with compassion. You know, many times... When someone commits a crime, someone does some wrong, 
we come down very hard on them. We say, oh, they're guilty. They should be put to death. Amen? Justice must be served. I mean, one thing I know about Americans is that Americans love justice, the rule of law. Everyone, what? Must obey the law that is written in the very blood of the people of this land. And many try to live out that principle. And so when someone breaks the law, they should be punished. But sometimes, in our administration of justice, we need to remember compassion. We need to remember grace and mercy, like Joseph did in this story. Even with your children, when they break your law, and you're administering justice, sometimes a little compassion will help them not to break the law again. But coming down hard will harden them also. So we have to be careful. And there are many implications for this in, our, in, our, in America today, in your communities, the way you deal with your neighbors. You know, so many relations in our communities could have been better had we been willing to temper justice a little bit with compassion, even as believers. And so we see that Joseph was willing to temper justice with compassion in the case of Mary. But not only that, um, we see that Joseph, being a righteous man, was seeking to do the right thing. He was seeking to live his life in accordance with the word of God, with the law of the Lord as he knew it then. And this says something to us. As believers today, if our faith is going to remain strong and steadfast, we will not be able to do that without adhering to the laws of God and the principles embedded in his word. And so when we talk about reading the Bible, studying the Bible, meditating the Bible, these things are very important for us. Because if we don't know what God requires, how will we do it? How will we do it? There are, there are many uh, believers today, and sometimes I fall into this trap, you can go a week without really spending time in the word of God. And it's not good. Sometimes at the end of the week, I realize I only read a few verses. And that's not good. If we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to be prepared for situations like what Joseph found himself in, where your faith is really tested and you want to come out as shining lights, you have to prepare beforehand. And how can you prepare? By reading, studying, memorizing the word of God. The psalmist says, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By what? Heeding to his word. The psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have hid thy word in my heart that I may not sin against God. There are many situations where we end up sinning against God. And it's only because we don't know what God expects of us in that situation. 
And it's because we don't know the word of God. And so my challenge to you this morning, today, is to put the study of God's word at the very top of your list. And this is what feeds our passion, even for Bible translation. Because we want people to know the word of God so that they can live a God-filled life. There are many in the world who don't have the Bible in their language. And so they become Christians. They become excited when they hear the gospel because they know they're saved. But how do they live with their neighbors? How do they um, deal with their government? How do they lead their families? They don't know the God way because they don't have the word of God. And so brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us. Make the study of God's word a priority in our lives. And, and I know many of you, you love the word of God. And I want to say, keep reading, keep studying. It is very, very important. And so, <clears throat> Joseph was able to react in the right way in this story because being a just man, he knew what God expected of him. Being a just man, being a righteous man. But not only that, Joseph being a just man, he was willing <clears throat> to do the right, to do right. Because to be righteous is to do what is right, you know. And that's what um, defined Joseph. He was willing to do what was right. It is not enough just to know what's the right thing to do. There has to be an, a willingness to do it. There are many who know the right thing, but are not willing to do the right thing. They are, they are more willing to rebel than to obey. And that takes me to the, the next point about Joseph that's really encouraging this morning. And that's Joseph's obedience. His obedience. A just man who was obedient. The Bible said that after Joseph got the vision in a dream, he did exactly what the angel told him to do. He did exactly that. He didn't divorce Mary. And he did not have sexual relation with her until after they were married, after, after the child was born. But also, Joseph... He named the child Jesus as the angel instructed him. Just think for a moment. What would be the story if Joseph wasn't obedient to God? What would, what would we be talking about today? Do you know how important it is that the child be named Jesus? But not only that, how important it was that Joseph be the one to name the child by Joseph naming the child, he showed that he was the legal guardian of this child. Now, don't forget, you know, everyone knew that Mary got pregnant before they got married. Okay, so don't miss that part. Everyone knew that. And I'm sure while Jesus was growing up, you'd have heard whispers here and there, oh, that's the bastard child. As a matter of fact, in the Gospels, there is a hint towards it. In one of the stories about Jesus, you know, 
people were saying, oh, you know, I am a, I am a son of Abraham. Yeah, you know, just uh, a way, by way of saying that Jesus was other than. But by Joseph naming the child, he showed that this child is my child. I mean, I am the earthly father. I am the one who is adopting it. Or I am, this is my child, essentially. And so this child is connected to me, connected to David, thus fulfilling the prophecies. Obedience. And by naming the child Jesus, it sets the trajectory for the life that Jesus would lead, becoming our Savior. And so today we have the story. We know that Jesus Christ was born and that he was born to save his people from their sins. We are very clear about that because Joseph was obedient to God. There is no substitute for obedience to God. No substitute. My, one of my mentors like to say, God is wise and we are otherwise. So whenever God says something, we must do it. We must do it. Some of God's instructions, some of his laws are difficult, as in Joseph's case. Sometimes we will be put in situations where we don't want to be. Sometimes God is going to say, go to places where we don't want to go. Sometimes God is going to say, be nice to that person that we really don't want to be nice to. But we must obey. I mean, can you imagine what our communities would be like if every single believer was living a life of total obedience to God? What would my life be like if I was 100% obedient to God? Oh, my goodness. This town would be on fire for God. We'd, we'd turn this town upside down. How many times has God sent you to someone to witness to them and you say, God, no, I'm afraid. I, I cannot go. And you slowly back away. And you didn't do it. I know it happened to me. I can imagine when God, you know, when God sends us to somebody, and it doesn't mean that the person will get saved. But there's a purpose. There's a plan. For that person, why God wants us to tell them. And we don't know what the divine conspiracy is for that person. But there is a plan for that person. Yes. And when we back away, we take ourselves out of the equation. And that's not good. That's not good. The Bible tells us that obedience is better than sacrifice. And disobedience at times can be equal to witchcraft. We must be careful. We must live a life of obedience to Almighty God. Now, let me just say, there are times when God will instruct us to do things that will make us afraid. And don't believe that Joseph wasn't afraid in this story. I believe he was afraid. I believe there are times when he was fearful. Because... One of the things we know from the context is that <coughs> Joseph, having accepted Mary as his wife, the people in the community might start to believe that Joseph was responsible for getting her pregnant. So his reputation was on the line. 
And in those days, you know, we don't, you know, having lived overseas in, in India and in Indonesia, you get a glimpse of what communities are like in Bible time, in the time of Joseph. They are very close-knit. When I say close-knit, if you enter a community and you're an outsider, everyone knows that an outsider has entered the community. They know. Now, if I drive into a community here in Orlando, I mean, nobody knows if I live there or not. And they don't care. You know, nobody cares. But in Indonesia, everybody knows everybody. And if you're new, everybody knows you're new. And they say, oh, where are you from? When did you get here? As a matter of fact, in many communities in Indonesia, if you enter that community overnight, by the next morning, you have to go and register yourself with a local political person. You have to take your passport and tell them why you're there and how long you'll be there. You have to register yourself. That's how they live, and so they're very close-knit. They look out for each other. There's, that's not ex inexistent here. And so Joseph ran the risk of people saying really bad things about him. As a matter of fact, people might start disassociating himself with him, saying, you know, I don't know that man. He's not my friend. I don't live like that. So there, is, there was fear, I believe. You know, but Joseph, <coughs> Joseph's commitment to God was enough to outweigh his fear of the community. And we need to get to the point in our Christian faith, in our walk with God, where our commitment to God becomes enough to outweigh our fear of people, our fear of our, our family, the fear of our boss, whatever there is. Our commitment to God must outweigh whatever fear, whatever thing there is that would cause us not to live a life of obedience to God. We must trust God enough to obey him at every turn. Is there something in your life this morning God has commanded you to do and you have not been obedient? Is there something you need to repent of? Something you need to change in your life as you hear the word of God? Maybe God has instructed you to do something and it's very difficult, it's painful, even as we come around Thanksgiving time. Maybe you need to be reconciled to a family member, maybe a co-worker, maybe a past friend. It's hard, but you must be obedient to God. And the final point I want to share from this story, which um, struck me, is Joseph's self-control. Self-control. Joseph was a young man in his maybe early to late 20s, ready to get married. I'm sure a lot of passion brewing, a lot of feelings. But Joseph had to wait maybe over a year, maybe two years before he could really be husband and wife with his wife, as so to speak. Self-control. In many instances in our culture today, self-control is a taboo term. We are told the heart wants what the heart wants. Remember that phrase? Yeah. People don't deny themselves anything anymore. 
You want it. You deserve it. Take it. Take it. Just do it, we are told. Self-control, what is that? Remember, I grew up in high school in Jamaica. It was just around the time when the debate was on about handing out um, protection in school. Um, what do you call, you know, for kids who want to get involved in sexual things early. The debate was whether should we teach them abstinence or do we give them protection? Many people were like, they're going to do it anyways, just give them protection. Abstinence was not the popular choice. I believe in our culture today, as Christians, we need to remind our family members and each other that it's okay to abstain. It's okay to deny yourself one extra piece of apple pie. It's okay. It's okay. Self-control. And so Joseph was self-controlled. He controlled himself. And he controlled himself because he knew God. He was living for God. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope you're encouraged by the faith of Joseph this morning. And especially as a young person, if you're here, I hope you're encouraged to, to cultivate a deep faith in God, even at a tender age. You're not too young. You cannot be too old. And I, I trust that as you read this story over the Christmas season, you will pray, Lord, give me a faith like Joseph. Give me a faith that will weather every storm. Give me a faith that will help me to overcome every test, every temptation that I will face in this life.